So we've got, I've got a special treat for you this morning. I was preparing a sermon this week, and, I, and as I was preparing, I actually had two prepared, and then that neither one of them felt right, and then the Lord said, I felt like the Lord said, I may be wrong for us, but I think I heard from God. And I think he said that, that he wanted Forrest to speak this morning, so, so I asked Forrest to come and speak to us this morning. Now, Forrest has been a member of our church for a little while now, but, but he's got a wonderful testimony, and we're so proud of what God's done in his life. And, uh, and, and, and I th- thought it would be so good for him to be able to speak to us and, and share whatever he felt like he needed to share with us. But uh, Forrest is, he went through Chad's hope and, and God just delivered him and d- did a miraculous work in his life. And now he's in ministry at Chad's hope. But not only that, God has opened doors for him. And, and I mean, people, I had my brother-in-law, he's a, he, he works in the school system in Berea, and he, he, he sent me a message the other day. He said, do you know Forrest Quillen? I said, yeah, I know Forrest Quillen. He goes to my church. He said, man, that guy's awesome. He came up here and shared with all these teachers and people that, about his program in these schools. So he's got a program, and they're going, he's literally, you're pretty much going to schools all throughout Kentucky, aren't you? I mean, everywhere in Kentucky, these schools are bringing him in. The program's called Be Somebody, and he can't necessarily preach Jesus wide open, but he's, he's speaking to the character of the children, and it's giving him these open doors to talk to people about Jesus. And if I'm not mistaken, Robert, he's involved with the pro, in the program with you, isn't he? Yeah, Project Darius. So, so Robert, he's, uh, Robert, go forth back here. He's been coming to church with us, and they're, they're in ministry together in that, so... I just think it's important that we as a church recognize we've got people that are in ministry all over the place. Uh, we've got people at OBI that are in ministry. We've got people um, that work at Best Blessing that are in ministry, that work at Chad's Hope that are in ministry, that are going out and preaching, that are going to the jail. I mean, there's just people in ministry everywhere, and that's the kind of church that we want to have. We want a church that, that people are involved and doing things. Even if you are just in the school system, listen, you're in ministry. You get to minister to children every day because those children, they need love, and you're, you're the face of love to them, and you're the face of Jesus to them. So we're thankful for everybody that just, uh, just re- recognizes the call of God on their life, but we're especially thankful this morning for, for Forrest and what God's doing in his life. So we're going to just give him the mic and let him go. He, he's got no notes or nothing, so he's just going to flow. That's what he does. He's very si- philosophical. He's very poetic. And, uh, and so God's uh, blessed him a lot. And so we're going to turn it over to him. You give him a hand clap. Amen. Thank you, buddy. All right, th- so you guys thought I was excited about the announcements. I'm super pumped now. <laughs> super pumped up. Listen, I like to walk around and move around, so just try to keep up with me. Um, but, you know, when Clay called me the other day and asked me to preach, I had just... Uh, about a week before I had just spoken, and God gave me a specific word. Um, I was over in Paris, Kentucky at a revival, and uh, God gave me this specific word in the midst of worship. Um, and uh, whenever Clay asked me to come and preach, I felt like that God wanted me to share that word with you guys as well. And uh, for me, there's a battle there. For, for my wife, there's a struggle there because of the transparency of that word. Um, I, I, I've become a vessel. I feel like that I've allowed God to illuminate my life in such of a way before others uh, to minister, to, uh, to reveal. Um, I believe in transparency. There's no way that I could be who I am and where I am today without transparency. And so uh, I really just want to really walk you through my life to bring you to where I am and then share with you what I believe that God wants me to say. Um, but like Clay said, I went to Chad's Hope, but 
You know, I was raised in a drug-influenced home in a community. Both of my parents were IV users of cocaine. Um, I never thought that I would become like my parents. Uh, I went into foster care, bouncing around from home to home to home to home as a kid, uh, seeing the destruction and devastation of my household, divorce, you know, screaming, fighting, arguing, cops showing up at my house every day. And I never wanted that lifestyle for myself. I hated it. I was, I was miserable there, and I never thought that I would grow up to be like my parents. I was actually pretty confident that I would never do that. And uh, at, at a young age, you know, my parents, every day that I would come home from school, and I want you to get this concept because it's really in the majority of the youth that I speak to today. Every single day that I would come home from school, my parents would be behind a door. And I don't want to ridicule my parents too bad because my dad did preach the gospel to me constantly even though he was held by bondage and addictions that ultimately hindered his uh, ministry that I felt like God would have called him to. But he did speak over my life. And I don't think that um, I would be where I am today if it wasn't for that word because I never had any doubts, any struggles with believing in God because of my dad. But, uh, but obviously, he was leaving a defeated life as far as, you know, excelling in, into the things of God, you know, being what God had called him to be. And, um, you know, I remember coming home every day after school, and I would come home, and my parents would be in their room, and they would stick their head outside of a door, and they would tell me, son, go play. Go play. Go do something. Go find something to do. And really, I didn't understand as a child, but they imparted one of the most dangerous mentalities to me as a kid that you can impart into a kid. And really what they were saying to me, the two people that was supposed to raise me up into a man that was supposed to impart character, that was supposed to impart maturity to me, that was supposed to teach me about honor, integrity, you know, how, how to be raised up into manhood, those two people that were supposed to love me more than anybody else on the face of the planet, literally every single day would look at me and say, son, you go and pursue your own pleasure because we're too busy pursuing ours. And, uh, you know, that mentality as a child came into me. I didn't understand it. You know, I wasn't able to discern that as a child. But I seen from my parents that pleasure, pleasure was a priority. And so when I went into schools and I began to live, I'd done what I wanted to do. If I was uncomfortable, I didn't do it. I'd done what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. You know, I remember started smoking, dipping, drinking. I started hanging out with these friends and this lifestyle. I ultimately got kicked out of school my junior year. Got on the streets, ended up hanging out with some friends. I remember I smoked marijuana for the first time. You know, ended up falling into that. And I woke up, when I was 18 years old, I woke up and I was in a jail cell. I don't remember what happened. I took a bunch of stuff that night with my friends at 18, and um, I went before the judge at 18, and me and my friends had went out that night and robbed a store, and they gave me two years of my life in jail. Uh, no get out of jail, no, no probation, no nothing. You serve it. And so that's what I've done. You know, I went through this time. I served this time while I was in jail at 18 years old. Uh, this is where, this is where uh, I encountered myself for the first time probably in my life but I remember at 18 years old they come back and got me out of my cell and uh, they took me out front my dad was standing there with tears in his eyes and I hadn't seen my dad in a long time you know him and my mom divorced me in foster care bouncing around I hadn't seen my dad in a long time and I was like what are you doing here and he said son I don't know how to tell you this but uh, I found your mother dead this morning she's overdosed 
And so when I went to my mother's funeral, I remember standing at her funeral. I was standing at her casket, and I was looking at my mother, and I remember I couldn't shed a tear. And it was the first time in my life that I knew that I was messed up, that something was wrong with me. Because I loved that woman more than anybody else. I cared about her, but I couldn't shed a tear. And it wasn't because I was hard. It wasn't because I was tough. It wasn't because I was trying not to because I wanted to cry. I wanted to grieve, but I couldn't. And it wasn't until years later that I come to find out this truth that when you live every single day for the pleasure of yourself, when you're so self-consumed and you're so self-focused that you lose all ability to care for people, you lose all ability to have compassion for people, and over a period of time, you lose the ability to even be aware of those people around you. And so what happened to me at 18 years old is that I was empty. My heart had hardened to the point that I was literally empty on the inside. I didn't understand that. I couldn't discern that. I literally remember standing over my mother's casket thinking to myself in my mind, man, I am crazy. I am insane. So I went back to jail, I served that out, ended up getting out on the streets, uh, you know, being around murderers, rapists, drug dealers for two years of my life. I learned how to do a lot of things, started manufacturing methamphetamine, came out on the streets, started getting high, doing dope, kicking doors down. And I had this mentality as a kid, my dad, you know, he would raise me up and he would get drunk and he would be wild and crazy and talk about war stories and fighting and everybody was afraid of him and he had this big name in my community as this guy and he would always look at me and he would say, son, do as, I, do as I tell you and not as I do. And I thought, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't knew, I didn't have it set in the back of my mind that I was going to grow up and I was going to be the craziest, wildest person that anybody has ever heard of in my community. And I had that mentality bent set in my mind. I didn't know how to do good. I didn't know how to do right. I didn't know how to do anything. And the only thing that I knew that I've seen my whole life was this ego and this mentality and this craziness and this perspective that I've seen in my dad, this glorification of the flesh and pride and the people around him, how they showed him respect. And I wanted that. And so that's how I lived my lifestyle. I wanted to be the most craziest person anybody's ever come across of. So I started kicking down doors. I started robbing people. I started doing crazy stuff. At 20 years old, I went back to the, to the pen. Um, burglary. They gave me another two years of my life. I ended up serving that out. And I remember it was at this time in my life that I really began uh, to struggle. I remember that I felt death coming into my life, that, that might sound weird, but I was at the point in my life that for some reason I could sense death. I could sense death coming into my life, and I knew that it was coming. And I remember one day I was out, you know, I was out, and, uh, out on the streets, I was strung out, and I was in this yard, and I was robbing this guy, and I was pushing a dirt bike from around his house. And I remember in the midst of me pushing it across his yard, literally I stopped and turned around and I started screaming, Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. I'm just a child. Please. And I turned around and looked, and there was nobody there. I thought, man, I'm crazy. Why did I do that? So the cop pulls in. He takes me to jail. He catches me. And I get caught robbing this place. And I remember when I got to jail, my dad called me, and he said, Son, 
I just got off the phone with the person that you robbed, and he, he told me that when you were robbing him, he was on the back of his porch with a rifle and a scope pointed to the back of your head about to pull the trigger until he realized that you were just a child. And it hit me in that moment. So in that moment, it really broke me because I couldn't understand why God would spare me for it. I couldn't understand why God would do that because he had me dead to rights. And I remember when I went to jail, they threw me in a hole, and I was so sick and tired. Listen, I, I had ran from myself for so long. I'd been on the streets, and I couldn't handle the pain. I couldn't handle the disappointment. I couldn't handle the disgustment of who I was, of how I failed my family, of how I hurt people, of how I'd done all these things, how I crossed every boundary and every moral standard that I set for myself and what type of person that I was. So I would literally numb myself past the ability to be conscious of any of it. And I remember when I got to the jail, I flipped out and they threw me in this hole and I got into this hole and literally it felt like the weight of the world was crushing me. And I couldn't stand it. It was so bad that I took a piece of tile out of the floor. I began to cut my head open. I had blood running down my face. I was bouncing my head off the wall and I was literally losing my mind. But it was in that very moment that I came to my senses to a door that I ignored for a long time. It was in that moment that I was able to come to my senses. And this is the thing. I was raised up in the Jesus thing. I had done the Jesus thing. I can't tell you how many times I've come to the altar and I cried my eyes out and I told God, God, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to live this life, Lord. I want to live for you. Look, man, I'll give you everything. But look, God, you know I'm weak with these women. You know what I'm saying? I'll give you everything. But listen, man, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to look over this. And there was never any transformation in my life. And I remember I'd go through these things and finally I would hit destruction again and I would come back to church and I'd go back to the altar and I would say, listen, God, I'll give you the needles. All right, I'll give you, I'll give you the dope. I'll give you all that stuff, man. But look, bro, I'm going to keep the weed. I mean, you created it. You know what I'm saying? You grow that stuff. And there was never any transformation in my life. And I remember in that moment in the jail cell that I seen this open door and I really understood consciously that I had never fully tried God. That I have never fully surrendered my life to God. And I told God, and I was just real with God, very transparent with God, and I said, listen God, I said, I've never given you myself completely. And I know that death is coming for me. And... uh Man, I just want to try you one time. I said, God, I'll give you everything. I'll give it all to you. I'll give you the women. I'll give you the drugs. I'll give it all to you. If you've got to break my neck, if you have to break my arms, I don't care what you have to do to me to save me, but I'll give it all to you. But I told God, I said, listen, if you fail me, man, I'm going to hit hell wide open. You know, and that was four and a half years ago. God's never failed me yet. Been going, seeking the Lord. I came out of jail. Look, I couldn't function on my own. Yes, look, repentance happened. I, I literally was walking in one direction, and I began to turn around and walk in a different direction. But this is the thing. My mind wasn't renewed. I still had the same thoughts when I got saved. I still had the same desires in my heart when I got saved. But I, 
initiated something with God that I began to walk in the opposite direction, and I was still struggling bad. I remember trying to come to church. I remember I was in the church house, and literally I'd come up to the altar, and I would beg God, and I would plead with God, and I would go out to the streets, and I would get high, and I'd be doing things, and I'd be meeting up with women, and I'd come back to church, and I would literally in my heart desire to never do that again, and I was struggling with it. So my pastor told me about Teen Challenge, and I told him, I was like, listen, man, I just served four years in jail. I just done these things. I'm not going back to Teen Challenge. I'm not going to another rehab. And he said, listen, Forrest, I'm not asking you to go to a rehab to get off drugs. I'm asking you to go to a discipleship ministry to get the tools that you need to overcome the street. And that made sense to me. So when I came to Teen Challenge, I left behind my family. I left behind my friends. I left behind the drugs. I left behind the community to follow Christ. I didn't come to get sober I came seeking God, seeking Christ. And I knew with all my heart and that motive that Donald talked about a couple of, and the motive that I came to God that I was going to encounter Christ in such of a radical way that it was forever going to change me. And I did. So I went through Chad's Hope. And at the end of Chad's Hope, I got kicked out of the program. And this is where... I'm going to lead you up, and this is where I'm going to be real transparent. I'm going to get real vulnerable with you today. Because this is where the Lord really spoke to me, and I want to share it with you. I went through Chad's Hope, and at the end of it, I got kicked out. Because at the end of the program, I was still struggling with some things, and I would run from it. I couldn't even sit down and watch a PG-13 movie at Chad's Hope. If it had a woman walk by the screen, I would literally get out of the room and walk away. Because I knew that I had a weakness in my heart, but I didn't know how to deal with it. So at the end of my program, I fell into sexual immorality. I got kicked out of the program, and I stayed in this community, and I was living at God's closet. And it was at God's closet that I began to fall into pornography. And I literally, I literally would watch it, and I would get down on my knees, and I would begin to cry. And I would beg God to forgive me and I would literally, in the sincerity of my heart, never desire to do that again. And literally the next day, I'd watch it again. And I would cry again. And I would pray again. And the next day, I'd watch it again. And I remember this happened for about two weeks, off and on. And finally, I got to the point that I watched it one night. And I went into the kitchen, and nobody was there but me, and I wouldn't pray. I was sick of confessing, I was sick of praying, I was sick of asking for forgiveness because I just kept doing it and I was disgusted with me. I was disgusted with myself and I didn't know what to do. And I remember that night sitting in the room by myself as I was sitting at this table I could literally feel two demonic presences enter the room with me. And I know that sounds crazy. There was two demonic presences that entered the room that night, and it was the first time that I felt fear in a long time. And I knew within myself that I needed to pray. I needed to confess. I needed to call out to God, but I just couldn't. I just wouldn't do it. And I remember as these presences were standing in the room with me that I took a piece of paper, and I just began to write to God, and I just began to confess to God from my heart. Now I write spoken words. I do a lot of spoken words. I just posted a spoken word on the internet the other day and it's actually the one that I'm about to share with you. But I want to share this with you briefly. It's short because this is what I wrote down that night. 
And this spoken word to me is not just something that I made up, but it was, it was applicable in my life. It helped me get from one place to another. It helped me confess where I was to be able to overcome. And this is what I wrote down that night as I was standing in the presence of God and before these things. And, you know, I needed to confess and I couldn't. I can't even think straight anymore. Because I'm constantly feeding my flesh like a whore. Idolatry. I feel like a traitor at war. My theology won't even stand. I'm sinking in the sand so I reach out my hand and I need you. I say I love you but it's not true. Or else why would I do what I do? Addicted to porn, trying to pull out this thorn. I don't want to be a deceiver. A hypocritical believer who serves the wrong master. My life is a disaster. If you can get here any faster, I need you. Yet I haven't seeked your face and I expect to see you. What am I but a man who turns his back to his friend and spits in the face of his creator? Thank God for my Savior. Jesus Christ, King of kings, for him were created all things, died for me. And not just died, but was beaten Stripped of his clothes, hung high, arms spread wide, and died for me. Now Satan has a bribe for me. That I can still walk in sin, feed the pleasure of lust within, and still be called to the kingdom in the end, lied to me. Only truth can defend us from the lies of the enemy. Only the spirit of victory within can give us the authority to conquer our sin. We're called to be pure, holy, and set apart. Overcome and shine bright and be a light to the dark. And don't be deceived. There's not much time. The righteous path is narrow, therefore not easy to find. Repent before it's too late and turn from your sins and set your eyes upon Jesus in eternity with Him. So that got me through that night. I was able to confess. I was able to move forward. I was able to go into this. I ended up meeting my wife. And for about a year, we fought. I fought personally sexual purity. I wasn't perfect through it. I had my bumps. I had my bruises. For about a year, we fought to stay sexual pure. And then finally, we ended up getting married. And this thing started to come back out. And uh, I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but this is the thing. I struggled with pornography even after I got married. And literally, God would expose me. At first, I'd confess and I would talk to her and I'd be very transparent about it and I would let her know. But then I got to the point that I no longer wanted to hurt her anymore, that I no longer wanted to break her anymore, and that I felt so awful about it that I literally hated myself for what I was doing and I didn't want to tell her anymore, and then God would expose it anyway. And then I would have to walk through it. But this is the thing, about, about a month and a half ago, I was in this room, early in the morning I was coming up here, and I was praying, and about a month and a half ago, I was in this room, and the Lord spoke to me. The Lord spoke to me, because this is the thing, I, I, I come before God very real, very transparent, 
And this is the thing. God has, has placed me and positioned me in my life through experience with Him that He's able to give me hard truths. I don't like hard truths sometimes, but I love it when they come from God because I know those hard truths have the ability to change me. I know those hard truths, I need to hear them in order to get from one place to another. I remember whenever, whenever I, when I was coming out of drug addiction and the Lord told me, listen, you love drugs more than your family, my mind couldn't accept that. In my mind, my mental ability, I couldn't accept that. But as God began to minister to me and show me out of my heart, and as I looked at my lifestyle, I knew that it was truth. And it wasn't until I began to confess that as truth that I was really able to find healing in certain areas with my family, to walk through things with my family. I remember when God told me, you don't know how to love people. You really never loved anybody. I struggled with that before God. And I'm like, you know, God, that's a lie, man. I love people. I love my family. I love these people. Have you been patient with them? Have you been gentle with them? Have you forbeared with them? Have you... Oh, Lord. So I remember I was in here and I was seeking God and I was just being real with God because this is the thing. I still had a desire in my heart. And I identified that desire in my heart. I still had temptations to look at other women. I, I was still struggling in my marriage. You know, it had been a period of process for me to overcome pornography, but there was still wounds there. There was still things that my wife was working through. And I remember I was in here and I was talking to God and I was telling God and I was being real with God and I was saying, God, why is this desire still in my heart? I can't change it. I can't do this. It's you. Why? Why is it still there? Because there was a time in my life that I came to a place that I accepted it. That I accepted it. And I feel like a lot of us get to this place. We struggle with things. And I feel like we come to the point, instead of overcoming it, we just accept it. And we try to figure out how to deal with it in life. But through my failures and because I knew that my marriage was about to fall apart, I had no choice but to come back to God and be real with God and say, why is this in my heart? I can't change it. You have to do it. And I remember he spoke to me through the Spirit and he told me this. This is what he told me. He said, your will is still in it. And that made zero sense to me. My will is still in it. Do you think that I want to look at this crap? Do you think I want to do this to my wife? My will is still in it. And then the Lord showed me something. The Lord showed me something. And he showed me every time that a woman walked past me, a pretty girl that walked past me, and nobody was around and I would look back and I would look at her, even though I wasn't thinking about having sex with her, even though I wasn't thinking lustful winter, I would look back just to check her out, and nobody knew it. It was just me. But God began to minister to me, and He began to show me those who are faithful in the little. Luke, in chapter Luke, Luke 16, He says those who are faithful in little will be faithful in much, but those who are dishonest in the little matters will also be unfaithful in the bigger. 
And God began to show me a root of my big failures was connected to a little small compromise. A little small compromise. Just a second look that I chose to do that I was willing in. I no longer got convicted about it. I pushed past, listen, Lord, everybody, all men struggle with this, Lord. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to check it. Look, I ain't doing, Lord, I just, and I stopped fighting against the little thing. I stopped trying to resist it, and I just gave in to it, and nobody else could see me. Nobody else knew what I was doing. But then when I was about to lose my marriage, and my life was falling apart, and I finally had to come back and begin to press in and to seek God, why is this happening to me? And he showed me it's because of the little things. Because you haven't learned to be faithful in the small. So when I was able to receive that hard truth, because for me that was hard, I was able to repent. Justin asked me this morning, he said, man, how you been doing? What you been doing? I thought about it for a second. I said, well, really, Justin, you know, I've been been walking in a a season of deliverance with God. And it's so crazy because for the past four years, I thought I was going to have to live with this for the rest of my life. And the enemy was trying to deceive me that. You're going to live with this for the rest of your life. And I finally come through the revelation of pressing in. And this is the thing. I'm dark. Our hearts are wicked. I'm dark. But when I push into the light, God begins to expose things within me. He begins to reveal things within inside of myself. And I couldn't overcome this point in my life until I literally pressed into the light and God showed me. This is why. Now, I wanted to bring you to this point. I wanted to bring you to this point because this is where the Lord spoke to me at. I just took you through. I just revealed myself to you. I'm trying to be totally transparent right now and let God do what He wants to do through me and in me in my life. But on July 27th, I was standing in a room and we were in worship for about an hour and a half. And the Lord showed me something. He showed me Peter standing outside of the gate of Jesus' trial. And I was about to get up on stage and I literally had no idea what I was going to speak about. And I was literally praying. I was begging, you know, God, please just show me. Whatever it is you want me to say, I'll do it. And when God showed me this image of Peter standing outside of the gate, I didn't understand it. And then the Lord began to minister to me. And he said, you know why Peter's standing outside of my presence? And I said, no, Lord. And he told me, he says, because he was not willing to confess. He was not willing to confess the hard truths that lead to death. See, this is the thing. Peter was faced with an opportunity of confession before people. Peter was faced with the opportunity, and Peter understood he'd just been three years with Jesus. He understood that his confession would cost him his life. And he wasn't able to confess. He wasn't willing to confess. He wasn't willing to lay that down.
And then God began to show me, this is a thing, you know, coming to this, look. Lord began to show me how this affected Peter when we come to these places in our life and we see things and, we, and God will give us these hard truths but we're not willing to receive them or accept them or confess them. And then God began to show me how Peter's resistance to confess led him to being conformed back to his old nature. What did he start to do after he wouldn't confess? He started going back and he started getting back in the boat. He started being conformed back to his old lifestyle. Because he was no longer moving forward to be in the presence of Christ. He was no longer moving forward to be in the presence of God. He was no longer willing to confess the truth. And so ultimately, it was driving him back into his old nature. And the same thing with me. The same thing in my life, whenever I wasn't willing to confess certain things, that I wasn't willing to accept hard truths with it. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm an idiot sometimes, and God knows that. Listen, I will justify the fire out of things. I will, I will deceive myself. I will do these, and I'm so thankful for God's patience with me and His endurance with me and these things. But sometimes He'll give me truths that I'm just not willing to accept. And sometimes it will drive me back to my old nature where, where I'm empty and I'm depressed and I'm struggling and I'm broken before I'm able to really see him again. And this is the thing, the same thing he done with Peter. Peter was broken. He was empty. He was depressed. He was struggling. And Jesus came back to him and he said, Now, he said, Now, Peter, are you willing? Do you really love me? Peter, do you love me? Are you really willing to lay yourself down for me? So this is the place where I was at with God. This is what He showed me. And He said, listen, this is the thing. Son, look, I, I will bring you to this gate over and over and over again. They will be things in your life that you will continually have to come before me and you will continually have to confess that you will continually have to give up in order to be in my presence with me. When Jesus came to the rich young ruler, what did he say? The rich young ruler said, look, man, I've, 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 I've obeyed. I've been going to church. I've been doing this for years. You know what I mean? I've been faithful. I haven't stole. I haven't beaten anything. And Jesus, this is the only thing, Jesus, there's only one thing that is keeping you from following me. There's just one thing. And sometimes we can be doing all this and we can still be standing outside of the gate because there's only one thing that's keeping us from really being in the presence where God wants us to be. And sometimes that's accepting hard truths. Sometimes it's stopping putting aside what we haven't dealt with yet. Because it's those very things that cause us to lay our life down for Christ. 
Listen, man, when he, when he gave me that truth, when I was in here and I was fighting and I was struggling with God and he finally gave me that truth, I was able to lay a part of myself down to him. Say, so you know what, God? I see it, and it's yours. Listen, I've been walking in deliverance. I've been, I've been conscious of truth. Now I don't look at other women. I won't even... So this is, this is the place where, where the Lord brought me to the other day and, and He was getting me to share. And As I began to walk and as I began to pray with people, the Lord began to show me something else. He began to show me Jacob in the wrestling match with him, you know, and I've heard a lot of sermons on this, and I've heard about this, and, you know, we've preached about it here. And he began to show me Jacob in the wrestling match with him. And what God showed me in that moment, whenever the Lord reached back and he touched Jacob's socket, and his socket gave out, the Lord showed me, he said, you would have let go of me. I was thinking, what? Then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, if I'm wrestling with this man and he reaches back and he touches my socket and my hip blows out, I'm done. You win. Like, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not fighting anymore. And when I realized that, I wondered Why did Jacob continue to hold on whenever he touched him? Like, in the mind, what could have possibly enabled him to hold on past that moment? And the Lord told me, he said, because he knew who I was. Because he knew that that touch came from me. And he knew that everything that I do is for his good. And he trusted me. I was like, wow, God. Help me to trust you like that. Help me to trust you even when things begin to explode out of my life and I'm in circumstances in my life and I don't know what's going on and I can't even think what's happening. Help me to trust you, to hold on to you just like him. Because this is the thing, another moment later, after the storm and the destructions came, and he was standing there, it said the Lord blessed him. And where Jacob was in the midst of his destruction, in the midst of how he viewed himself, in the midst of who he was, he said, not anymore. Not anymore. And so that's where I am. That's where I'm at right now. That's what I'm walking in right now today, is the not anymore. Because I was able to come before God in the midst of a truth, listen, when my whole life was falling apart, and I was able to press into Him and trust His character because I began to understand that it wasn't His will for this to be happening to me. It wasn't His will for this destruction to be going in my life. It wasn't His will for this desire to be in my heart. And I just had to get to a place that I could see truth. And in that moment of truth, I was able to look and say, not anymore. 
This is no longer going to be who I am. This is no longer going to define me. So this is why I want to encourage you. Listen, I, I do believe that God laid this message on my heart of transparency. James 5.16 says this. It says, Through confession to one another and praying for one another, healing comes. And I just believe that God's really used my life in, in a way that, to expose me before others, to set an example of transparency and confession. Because you may be standing at a gate in your life, and I'm not telling you to publicly get up here and do this, because I ultimately, in some realms, don't think it's necessary. But you may be at a place in your life that there's these hard truths that you're dealing with, whatever that may be, unforgiveness, bitterness, these little things. It can be little things. The, the, the little foxes spool the vine. A little leaveneth, leaveneth the whole lump. It could be these little things. And these big destructive things are going on in your life and you have no idea what's going on because you're trying to identify the source but you're overlooking the small compromises. And I believe that God can be bringing you to a place that He can begin to reveal these things to you, these little things. That you can have an opportunity to accept it as truth. That you can have an opportunity to see these little things in your life and begin to turn from it. To begin to confess it. And to begin to find healing. That you can be in the presence. That you can be delivered. That you can be walking in a newness in a new season with God. And I do believe that's His will. You know, Donald spoke on these messages here recently. He said, transparency precedes transformation. Vocalization ends victimization. I believe that sincerity... And pushing into the Lord reveals truths within us. And then those truths need to be confessed and dealt with in transparency before God. Hebrews 11.6, and I'm going to end on this because this is... Hebrews 11.6 said this, and, and this is probably one of my most favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. Because God said, there's two things that I want you to know about me. First, that it's impossible to even please me if you don't believe. And second, that I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. Now this is the thing, because... The Bible says that in his house there's many vessels. There's vessels of clay. There's vessels of silver. There's vessels of gold. And then he goes on to say this. Some are for co common use and others for special use. And he says those who, the vessels of gold, the vessels of honor that are used for the special use are those who cleanse themselves, consecrate themselves unto me. Now I don't know about you, but listen, I am greedy for everything that God has for me. I'm greedy for it. I want it. I want to be used by God for honorable and special use. I want to be that. 
But sometimes there's a cleansing that has to happen within us before we can get to that place. And the Lord's saying, listen, wherever you are, if you're still walking in this destruction, if you're still dealing with these desires, if you're still dealing with this struggle that you're trying to learn how to deal with and live with, if you would just seek into my presence diligently, I'll deliver you. I'll shine light upon you. I'll expose those things that's been keeping you from being with me where I desire you to be. I'm going to end it with this. This is the last thing I promise. <laughs> but uh, this verse has always messed me up. My faith really can't grasp it yet. But I'm trying. But Jesus said this. Jesus said, if you was to go into your earthly father's house and ask for a piece of bread, and I want you to imagine this. You walking into your dad's house, because I don't care if he's beat you. I don't care if he's a ruthless man. I don't care how mean he is. Imagine walking into your dad's house and you're hungry and you want a piece of bread. He said, and if you ask your dad for a piece of bread, is he going to throw a serpent at you? Now, I don't know about you, but my dad, you know, we don't have the best relationship, but if I was to walk up in his house and I'm hungry, I'm not even going to ask. I'm going, I'm getting the bread out, I'm getting the meat out, and I'm making a sandwich. I don't even have to ask. And then Jesus said this, which blows me away. I can't. He said, how much more? How much more does your heavenly Father want to give you all good things? How much more? I want to know God like that. I want to be able to trust God like that in every circumstance that I'm in, knowing whatever I'm walking through that it's producing to my good. I want to be able to trust God and the how much more that I can just come into His kingdom and operate in His giftings and His service and know that He is so faithful, that He is so good, that I don't have to plead, I don't have to beg, I don't have to work, I don't have to do anything. I just need to know Him. I need to put my faith and His faithfulness. I need to put my trust in His loving kindness. I need to believe in His tender mercies. And I need to have the right view of Him. I want the how much more. I want to know it. I want to walk in it. I want to live it.